Josh Haston here, Israel Uncensored, on the Land of Israel Network at thelandofisrael.com. It is Monday, the 11th of October, 2021, the 5th of Cheshvan, 5782, coming to you this week from Jerusalem, the eternal capital of the state of Israel and the Jewish people. Hope you're doing well, hope you are safe, as I look upon the walls of the old city. I'm just right outside the old city of Jerusalem. Don't forget, you can get in touch with me during the week, Josh at thelandofisrael.com on Facebook, Joshua Haston, or Josh Haston Israel Advocacy and Journalism on Twitter at Josh Haston and on Instagram as well. We're going to open up this week talking about the Temple Mount, Judaism's holiest site, the site of the first holy temple and the second holy temple, and eventually the third holy temple will be built on the Temple Mount. Now, the Jerusalem District Court just several days ago, accepted an appeal by the police of a decision that that court had made several days earlier, which effectively allowed Jewish prayer on the Temple Mount. On the Temple Mount. So, in other words, the police appealed that decision. Last Wednesday, uh, the Jerusalem Magistrate Court revoked a restraining order that was handed to a Jewish rabbi who prayed on the Temple Mount and confirmed that it is permissible for Jews to pray silently at at Judaism's holiest site. Now, this was top story in many many places. And again, I'm I'm not a legal expert here, and we'll talk about it in just a minute. On Friday, however... Again, after the court said that this man was allowed to pray silently or should have been allowed to, uh, to pray silently, on Friday, the Israel police appealed the decision uh, and Minister of Internal Security Omar Barr from the Labor Party warned of a regional flare-up should the court's de- decision be allowed to stand. He said, quote, a change in the existing status quo would endanger public peace and may cause a flare-up. He added, the state of Israel advocates freedom of worship and prayer for all, but at the same time, in view of the security implications, the status quo, which states that prayer of Jews on the Temple Mount will take place at the Western Wall and that the prayer of Muslims will take place at the Haram al-Sharif. He actually referred to it by the Arabic name for the Temple Mount compound, um, must be maintained. Okay, so here you have the Minister of Internal Security saying people, regardless of religion, can pray everywhere. But by the way, Jews should pray at the Western Wall and should not be allowed to pray on the Temple Mount. And Muslims are allowed to pray on the Temple Mount. Now, again, I mentioned before, I'm not a legal expert, but it was my understanding until now, per Israel's Supreme Court, that Jewish prayer was already allowed legally on the Temple Mount. However, police until now can disallow it if they think it will cause violence. So I'm not exactly sure 100% why this Jerusalem court ruling changed anything or why this is a a breakthrough. But a lot of people were calling this a breakthrough in terms of the Jewish right to pray on the Temple Mount. I mean, you would think that in a country which supports freedom of worship, all people should be allowed to pray wherever they want. But that is, that is not the case. What's going on here um, 
is that we have we have a discriminatory policy where somehow Jewish prayer is not allowed. And the problem here is we're capitulating to threats of terror. Hamas, even though they sit technically in Gaza, they're in different parts, of course, of Judea and Samaria and have supporters in Jerusalem and elsewhere. Hamas, sadly, is calling the shots on Jerusalem, whether it's praying on the Temple Mount, walking in certain areas of the city of Jerusalem with Israeli flags. We are capitulating to our enemies instead of showing strength. This is the Middle East, folks, where strength rules. If you show weakness, you will lose. There is no end if you show weakness, you cannot win. So, Minister, I understand his obligation to keep people safe. But if you give into Hamas, at the end of the day, you are not keeping people safe. And it always goes back to these excuses. Now is not the right time. Now is not the right time to build in Judea and Samaria. Now is not the time for Jews to pray in the Temple Mount. It will cause a regional flare-up. It's never the right time. For those extremists, call them, call them extreme left-wingers if you want, but I hate these labels. Those, for those extremists, um, it's never the right time. It's never the right time for Jews to exercise their right to the Temple Mount, to Judea and Samaria, Jerusalem, whatever, whatever it is. Building in Judea and Samaria, of course, it's never the right time. Now it's not the right time. It'll cause a regional flare-up. But the Supreme Court already ruled Jews can pray. This was affirmed, I guess, here by the Jerusalem Magistrate Court, yet it is being appealed. And I understand the police have a difficult job, and I understand the police don't want violence. But if you show weakness, if you show weakness, then you will never succeed here in the Middle East. You will never be able to express your rights to this country if you show weakness. So we'll see what happens on the Temple Mount. I know that recently, in the last year or so, from what I understand, things have gotten uh, better in terms of police allowing, actually, Jews to pray quietly. Um, but we'll see what happens now as a result of, number one, the ruling, this additional ruling by the Jerusalem court, and then this appeal. We'll see if things remain the same or in terms of actually allowing Jews to pray quietly or maybe... Maybe now it'll get worse. Maybe now the police will crack down on Jews praying quietly on the Temple Mount because of this appeal. So time will tell um, what the situation will be at Judaism's holiest site. Now, the Jewish press also reports here in regard to the old city. This past Saturday night, Haredi, ultra-Orthodox religious Jews, were attacked by Arabs at the Damascus Gate at Shar Shem. Coming back from the Kotel, Arabs were riding and they attacked these Jewish worshippers at, the, uh, at the end of Shabbat. However, there's a video actually that shows, it shows this. Instead of running away, these Jews fought back. And this is an important step. Now, of course, I'm not calling for vigilante violence. But if you're being attacked, you have the right to defend yourself. Why should Jews walking home from the Western Wall come under attack? So this is a, a, a positive development that G, these Jews said, enough is enough. We will not be intimidated. We will, now, we will not sit here um, 
on the defensive and take it from these rioters. We will not have rocks thrown at us. We are going to fight back, and that's what they did. Now, police eventually defused the situation. There were some arrests and whatnot. But I think these people who defended themselves, and this is self-defense, set a positive precedent that if you are considering attacking Jews near the old city or anywhere else, we are not going to take it laying down. And I think uh, these individuals, these worshipers, did the right thing by defending themselves. And again, it was all caught on video. I'm sure you could find it on the Internet. The Jerusalem Post reported over the weekend that the Biden administration, switching gears here, has clearly opposed unilateral so-called settlement activity. State Department spokesman Ned Price told reporters in Washington and in response to a question about U.S. pressure on Prime Minister Naftali Bennett to halt such action. Ned Price said the following, quote, We believe it is critical for all parties to refrain from those unilateral steps that exasperate the situation, uh, tensions rather, and again undercut efforts to achieve a negotiated two-state solution. I mean, he's just repeating this mantra. This is a copy-and-paste statement. He added, that includes, as I was saying before, in a different context, annexation of territory, settlement activity, demolitions, evictions, incitement to violence. Price also spoke of U.S. opposition to the pay-to-slay program. Thanks for that, I guess. He also condemned violence by the settlers and Jewish, Jewish extremists against Palestinians. So, He's against unilateral action. So if it's not unilateral, then it's okay, I guess. I guess if Israel uh, works out a deal where they're, where, they're, uh, where they're allowed to build, rather, Judea and Samaria, that he would be okay with that if it's not unilateral. But that's a joke because the Palestinian Authority is never going to be okay with building anywhere in Jerusalem or Judea and Samaria. So that's a complete joke. Plus, the statement, once again compares building kindergartens to incitement to violence. He said he was against settlement activity, which could include building kindergartens or playgrounds for children. He put that in the same category as incitement to violence. Uh, Of course, Price condemned so-called settler violence, but didn't mention the daily, and I mean daily, folks, rock and firebomb attacks against Jewish motorists. Um... But that's where things stand. That's where things stand right now. Let's hope, though, that Israel is not the focus of the Biden administration right now. There's a lot of other stuff going on. There's the coronavirus. There are other issues on the plate, China, on the plate of the Biden administration. So even though this statement came out, let's hope that the focus is not on Israel. But just once again, night and day between what we had under the Trump administration in terms of policy towards the Jewish state. Uh, At the same time, the Jewish press reports U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken is scheduled to host Israeli Foreign Minister Yair Lapid and United Arab Emirates Foreign Minister Sheikh Abdullah Ben Zayed al-Nahyan on October 13th, which is in two days from now. Um, Blinken met with Naftali Bennett, Prime Minister Bennett, this past August. Uh, so here you have all of these uh, meetings with Israel, the UAE, and the U.S. State Department to discuss 
progress made since the signing of the Abraham Accords last year, uh, talking about future collaboration, bilateral issues, regional security and stability. So again, the leaders of Israel, the UAE, and the State Department, the U.S. administration will be meeting in two days from now um, in Washington. I'm actually later today. By the time you hear this, I'll probably already be finished, but I'll be in the Knesset today covering the launch of the so-called Abraham Accords Caucus in the Knesset. Um, So that is taking place today, celebrating one year since the signing of the Abraham Accords and talking about the future. At the same time, I actually hung out with a group this week from Bahrain, uh, Arabs, Muslims who arrived in Israel, and they're still here, if I'm not mistaken, to tour the country and experience it firsthand. And somewhat ironically, while the Bahrainis who were in Israel were received so warmly by the Israelis, uh, by the Jewish Israelis, they were treated miserably, and I saw it with my own eyes, by the local uh, Arab uh, Muslim population. here. I saw it here in Jerusalem. So you're talking about Jerusalem Arabs with residency, with health care, with education, with rights, with benefits, and all that. They're not happy that Israel's normalized ties with Bahrain or the UAE. So as our group, as I was walking with the group from Bahrain, in the Machane Yehuda Shuk, the market here in Jerusalem, some of the Arabs, not all of them, some of the Arabs who had passed by our group would whisper nasty things to the group from Bahrain. And they didn't give me the exact translation as what the as to what they were saying, but um, from what I understand, it was pretty nasty, and the group from Bahrain just simply ignored the hate. Ironic. Their fellow Muslims, their fellow Arabs, who were visiting Israel, they were being nasty towards them because they simply want peace with Israel and a real peace. And that, that's a problem for us here in Israel because we are living and trying to get along with our local Arab communities here, whether it's in Judea and Samaria, Jerusalem, or anywhere else in the country. So it was pretty disheartening that they were whispering nasty things to this Bahraini delegation. Uh, switching gears yesterday, just down the road from where I am, uh, there were there was a demonstration. You have uh, German Chancellor Angela Merkel, who's uh, paying her final official state visit as the the head of Germany, the Chancellor of Germany to Israel. Um, you had a group of more than 120 bereaved families who sent a letter to Merkel blasting Germany's funding of so-called far-left political organizations. This is a press release from Im Tirzu. And again, they had a demonstration outside her hotel just down the road from here. On yesterday, uh, the Choosing Life Forum of Reeved Families, together with Im Tirzu, sent a letter to Merkel. Um, in addition, an activists holding signs reading, Germany, stop funding political NGOs in Israel. According to the group, over the past several years, Germany alone has funded 34 political organizations in Israel, all of whom are affiliated with the far left, said the letter, which was written in German, English, and Hebrew. Some of these organizations promote BDS. They work 
to exert international pressure on Israel, worked to change Israel's immigration policies, and even worked to change Israel's policies against terrorism by means of legal and international pressure. So here you have the German government supporting, we're talking about a lot of money, 22.5 million euros, supporting organizations which work against the state of Israel. They're Israeli organizations, by the way. Let's be clear who they are. These are Israeli organizations getting funding from Germany to say nasty things against the state of Israel, to support BDS against the state of Israel. So Im Tirtzu and this brief families group demonstrated against Germany, calling on them to stop funding these organizations which bash Israel and support BDS. Going back here, turning to other visitors in the country, this was from a press release from the Benjamin Regional Council. A tribute was held yesterday for former U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, an appreciation of all his efforts to strengthen the Jewish communities in Judea and Samaria. And Samaria, sorry, Pompeo, accompanied by his wife and son, began his visit at the ancient Shiloh Heritage Site, where he prayed at the site of the tabernacle. A uh, ceremony was held then at the Pesagot Winery with all the heads of the Jewish communities of Judea and Samaria. In 2019, Pesagot Winery dedicated a special wine in Pompeo's name in honor of his declaration of America's recognition of the legality of Jewish communities in, of, in, of Jewish communities in Judea and Samaria. So Mike Pompeo is here in the country visiting. Uh, he said yesterday, when I was a civilian, it was important for me to take my family to the Golan Heights, show them that Israeli sovereignty in the Golan, Judea and Samaria, uh, and Judea and Samaria is indisputable. So thank you, Mike Pompeo, for your support. It's unfortunate that you are no longer Secretary of State. Maybe you will be president one day. Welcome to Israel. We're glad you're here. Thank you for your true and deep-rooted support of Israel and the Jewish people. It's night and day, folks. It's night and day, whether you are a fan of President Trump or not on domestic issues, in the, if you're listening in the United States. It's night and day from where I'm sitting in terms of the relationship. And again, you see Naftali Bennett, Prime Minister Bennett, meeting with Joe, President Joe Biden. You see different things happening, but... It's just so different from the way it was under the past administration. Some positive news here. Aliyah, Israel National News, reports here. This is, by the way, um, this week, and specifically on the 13th, is a holiday in Israel, Aliyah Day. Yom HaAliyah, celebrating immigrants arriving in the Jewish state from all over the world. Aliyah to Israel increased by 31%, so far has increased by 31% in 2021. 20,360 new immigrants arrived in the country compared to 15,598 uh, during the corresponding period last year. Israel has continued seeing a dramatic rise in Aliyah despite the pandemic with the Ministry of Aliyah and Integration and the Jewish Agency ensuring that immigration continues despite the difficulty and limitations on international travel. Of course, we have to mention the work of Nefesh Benefesh in helping Olim new immigrants here in the country 
Again, this report by Israel National News as we get to cel- get ready to celebrate Yom Aliyah, recognizing the contributions of immigrants to the state of Israel. And that will take place on Wednesday. This Wednesday is Yom Ha'aliyah. So that story is about Olim immigrants who arrived in Israel and are making contributions. And the next news item talks about Israelis who are making contributions and whose contributions are being recognized by the world community. Israel Hayom reported yesterday that in its annual World's Best Specialized Hospitals list, the U.S. magazine Newsweek names three Israeli medical centers. The magazine, a magazine ranks the top 250 hospitals for cardiology and oncology, the top 150 for cardiac surgery and pediatrics, and then the top 125 for endocrinology and other, uh, and other fields here. According to this year's rankings, Israel's Sheba Medical Center at Tel Shomer is number 42 in the world when it comes to cardiology care. The Heart Institute at Hadassah Ein Karim in Jerusalem ranked 173. And cardiology care at Tel Aviv's uh, Sarasky Medical Center ranked 204. Hadassah's oncology care also came in for praise with the Charette Institute of Oncology on Mount Scopus ranked 211 in the oncology section. Um, and then there are several other categories here mentioned in which Israeli hospitals were ranked in the top 250 in the world. So congratulations to these Israeli hospitals. Israel on the cutting edge of medicine, medical technology, um, and, and many other fields. So congratulations to these hospitals named in Newsweek magazine for their contribution to humanity. And as we do, that's one positive story. And as we do every week, as we try to do every week, we talk about how Israel is making a difference in the world, whether it's in uh, the field of medicine or technology or biotech or agritech or whatever it is. Times of Israel reported that an Israeli startup is now helping boats, planes, and trains to run on time. A company called Intel Act uses artificial intelligence to help airlines, seaports, and transportation hubs save billions. We've all been there. We rush to make a flight only to find that the plane has been delayed, which sometimes means that plans go out the window. The COVID-19 pandemic has made it worse with worldwide disruptions causing flights to be canceled or delayed and triggering a global crisis in freight and transportation by land, air, and sea. However, Intellect, the Israeli company, offers a glimmer of hope to help the hard-pressed transportation industry cut costs as it grapples with financial challenges. Improved efficiency at major logistics hubs could save billions of dollars each year and offer a lifeline to operators facing the worst financial crisis in a generation. Using AI to analyze the millions of CCTV cameras monitoring airports, seaports, and logistic hubs Intellect identifies operational bottlenecks and hazards, increasing efficiency and improving safety, says CEO Udi Seagal. Delays. Did you know this? Delays cost the airline industry $20 billion every year. Intellect, this company says it can cut the delays by 15%, saving about $3 billion annually. An Israeli company, once again, doing good for the world, helping save money, helping prevent delays 
to airline flights and delays and other transportation uh, fields. I say this to you, you BDS haters, you Israel haters. Uh, I hope your plane is late because I hope you are going to protest your local airport or your local boat uh, port using Intellact, this Israeli technology. Don't save any money. Um, Don't save any time because if you do, if you bring in Intellact, then you are a hypocrite. You the BDS Israel haters out there. Another example of Israel contributing to the world here in the transportation arena. And it's really guys and gals out there. It's not hard to find these stories each and every week. Pretty much we can talk about an Israeli company that's doing amazing, amazing work coming out with the latest technologies to improve quality of life for people all over the, all over the world, all over the globe in so many different fields. So here's just another example. That's going to do it for today for the 11th of October, 2021, the 5th of Cheshvan, 5782. My name is Josh Haston. This has been another edition of Israel Uncensored on the Land of Israel Network at thelandofisrael.com. Get in touch with me during the week. Josh at thelandofisrael.com. On Facebook, Joshua Haston or Josh Haston, Israel Advocacy and Journalism. On Twitter at Josh Haston and on Instagram as well. Shout out to Benjamin Bresky, engineer extraordinaire, Tabitha Epstein for everything she does behind the scenes. Coming to you this week from just outside the walls of the old city of Jerusalem, the eternal capital of the Jewish people in the state of Israel. I am off to the Knesset. Everyone out there in the wonderful world of ours, be safe. Only good things. Shalom, shalom from Jerusalem. All the best. Rejuvenate yourself with Rejuvenation, hosted by Eve Harrow. New episode every Tuesday on the Land of Israel Network. Each week, Eve interviews a new fascinating person, highlighting their personal stories. That's Rejuvenation with Eve Harrow, connecting Israel's past, present, and future on the Land of Israel Network at thelandofisrael.com.